Welcome to The Reading Room. I'm Xeni, the creator of Writer's Lighthouse. In this podcast, we'll read selected passages from novels, short stories, poetry and more, and break down the prose to identify what makes a story memorable and impactful, and what we can learn from it as writers. We'll be looking closely at some of the most engaging and immersive narratives in literature to harness and identify the devices and methods which capture the reader. In each episode, I'll read an extract aloud before we work through a short, close reading of one or two paragraphs. We'll then finish with an exercise for you to try at home. Are you ready? Then let's begin. Hello writers and welcome to episode 9 in the Reading Room podcast, where we explore the delightful story of Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll, originally crafted for children, but has been enjoyed by all ages throughout the years. I couldn't launch a podcast out covering an episode for children. Having grown up with Alice, I've enjoyed the novel, the TV and film adaptations, plus a school play and panto, and a themed fancy dress party in its honour, in my twenties no less. It's also oddly wonderful, topsy-turvy and fun, with its talking rabbits, disappearing cats, and a queen hosting an obsession with white roses and red paint. Now, with 60 literary retellings, 40 films and 30 stage and television adaptations, the story evidently goes much deeper than the themes of absurdity and identity that are recognised on the surface reading level, for which many, many critical theorists and storytellers have analysed and adapted over the years. And that is part of the fascination with the story of Alice. For today's episode, however, we'll be exploring how the sense of wonder and the unusual is created in Chapter 1, and how this is distilled from a child's perspective. Should you be interested to explore this story in more depth in a writing workshop or as a writing resource, just let me know. As you listen to the reading, I'd like you to think about how chapter one presents Alice's thoughts and feelings on her adventure down the rabbit hole through her inner monologues. Are you ready? Then let's begin. Chapter one, down the rabbit hole. Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and of having nothing to do. Once or twice she had peeped into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book, thought Alice, without pictures or conversation? So she was considering, in her own mind, as well as she could, for the hot day made her feel very sleepy and stupid, whether the pleasure of making a daisy chain would be worth the trouble of getting up and picking the daisies, when suddenly a white rabbit with pink eyes ran close by her. There was nothing so very remarkable in that, nor did Alice think it so very much out of the way to hear the rabbit say to itself, Oh dear, oh dear, I shall be too late. When she thought it over afterwards, it occurred to her that she ought to have wondered at this, but at the time it all seemed quite natural. But when the rabbit actually took a watch out of its waistcoat pocket and looked at it and then hurried on, Alice started to her feet, for it flashed across her mind that she had never before seen a rabbit with either a waistcoat pocket or a watch take out of it, and burning with curiosity, she ran across the field after it and was just in time to see it pop down a large rabbit hole under the hedge. In another moment down went Alice after it, never once considering how in the world she was to get out again. The rabbit hole went straight on like a tunnel for some way and then dipped suddenly down, so suddenly that Alice had not a moment to think about stopping herself before she found herself falling down what seemed to be a very deep well. 
Either the well was very deep, or she fell very slowly, for she had plenty of time as she went down to look about her, and to wonder what was going to happen next. First, she tried to look down and make out what she was coming to, but it was too dark to see anything. Then she looked at the sides of the well, and noticed that they were filled with cupboards and bookshelves. Here and there she saw maps and pictures hung upon pegs. She took down a jar from one of the shelves as she passed. It was labelled Orange Marmalade, but to her great disappointment it was empty. She did not like to drop the jar, for fear of killing somebody underneath, so managed to put it onto one of the cupboards as she fell past it. Well, thought Alice to herself, after such a fall as this I shall think nothing of tumbling downstairs. How brave they'll all think me at home. Why, I wouldn't say anything about it, even if I fell off the top of the house, which is very likely true. Down, 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 with the fall never come to an end. I wonder how many miles I've fallen by this time, she said aloud. I must be getting somewhere near the centre of the earth. Let me see. That would be 4,000 miles down, I think. For you see, Alice had learnt several things of this sort in her lessons in the schoolroom, and though this was not a very good opportunity for showing off her knowledge, as there was no one to listen to her, still it was good practice to say it over. Yes, that's about the right distance. But then I wonder what latitude or longitude I've got to. Alice had no idea what latitude was, or longitude either, but thought they were nice grand words to say. Presently, she began again. I wonder if I shall fall right through the earth. How funny it will seem to come out among the people that walk with their heads downwards. The antithopes, I think. She was rather glad there was no one listening this time, as it didn't sound at all the right word. But I shall have to ask them what the name of the country is. You know, please, ma'am, is this New Zealand or Australia? And she tried to curtsy as she spoke. Fancy, curtsying as you're falling through the air. Do you think you could manage it? And what an ignorant little girl she'll think me for asking. No, it'll never do to ask. Perhaps I shall see it written up somewhere. Down, down, down. There was nothing else to do, so Alice began talking again. Dinah will miss me very much tonight, I should think. Dinah was the cat. Oh, I hope they'll remember her saucer of milk at tea time. Dinah, my dear, I wish you were down here with me. There are no mice in the air, I'm afraid, but you might catch a bat. And that's very like a mouse, you know. But do cats eat bats, I wonder? And here Alice began to get rather sleepy and went on saying to herself, in a dreamy sort of way, Do cats eat bats? Do cats eat bats? And sometimes, do bats eat cats? For you see, as she couldn't answer either question, it didn't much matter which way she put it. She felt that she was dozing off and had just begun to dream that she was walking hand in hand with Dinah and was saying to her very earnestly, Now, Dinah, tell me the truth. Did you ever eat a bat? When suddenly, thump, thump, down she came upon a heap of sticks and dry leaves and the fall was over. Alice was not a bit hurt and she jumped up onto her feet in a moment. She looked up but it was all dark overhead. Before her was another long passage, and the white rabbit was still in sight, hurrying down it. There was not a moment to be lost. Away went Alice like the wind, and was just in time to hear it say, as it turned a corner, Oh, my ears and whiskers, how late it's getting! She was close behind it when she turned the corner, but the rabbit was no longer to be seen. She found herself in a long, low hall, 
which was lit up by a row of lamps hanging from the roof. There were doors all around the hall, but they were all locked, and when Alice had been all the way down one side and up the other, trying every door, she walked sadly down the middle, wondering how she was ever to get out again. Suddenly she came upon a little three-legged table, all made of solid glass. There was nothing on it except a tiny golden key, and Alice's first thought was that this might belong to one of the doors of the hall. Oh, but alas, either the locks were too large or the key was too small, but at any rate it would not open any of them. However, on the second time around, she came upon a low curtain she had not noticed before, and behind it was a little door about fifteen inches high. She tried the little golden key in the lock, and to her great delight it fitted. Alice opened the door and found that it led into a small passage, not much larger than a rat hole. She knelt down and looked along the passage into the loveliest garden you ever saw. How she longed to get out of that dark hall and wander about among those beds of bright flowers and those cool fountains, but she could not even get her head through the doorway. And even if my head would go through, thought poor Alice, it would be of very little use without my shoulders. Oh, how I wish I could shut up like a telescope. I think I could, if I only know how to begin. For you see, so many out-of-the-way things had happened lately that Alice had begun to think that very few things were really impossible. There seemed to be no use in waiting by the little door, so she went back to the table, half hoping she might find another key on it, or at any rate a book of rules for shutting people up like telescopes. This time she found a little bottle on it, which certainly was not here before, said Alice, and tied round the neck of the bottle was a paper label with the words, Drink Me, beautifully printed on it in large letters. It was all very well to say, Drink Me, but the wise little Alice was not going to do that in a hurry. No, I'll look first, she said, and see whether it's marked poison or not, for she had read several nice little stories about children who had got burnt and eaten up by wild beasts and other unpleasant things, all because they would not remember the simple rules their friends had taught them, such as that a red-hot poker will burn you if you hold it too long, and that if you cut your finger very deeply with a knife, it usually bleeds. And she had never forgotten that. If you drink much from a bottle marked poison, it is almost certain to disagree with you sooner or later. However, this bottle was not marked poison, so Alice ventured to taste it. And, finding it very nice, it had, in fact, a sort of mixed flavour of cherry tart, custard, pineapple, roast turkey, toffee, and hot buttered toast. She very soon finished it off. What a curious feeling, said Alice. I must be shutting up like a telescope. And so it was indeed. She was now only ten inches high, and her face brightened up at the thought that she was now the right size for going through the little door into that lovely garden. First, however, she waited for a few minutes to see if she was going to shrink any further. She felt a little nervous about this. For it might end, you know, said Alice to herself, in my going out altogether like a candle. I wonder what I should be like then. And she tried to fancy what the flame of a candle looks like after the candle is blown out, for she could not remember ever having seen such a thing. After a while, finding that nothing more happened, she decided on going into the garden at once. But alas for poor Alice, when she got to the door, she found she had forgotten the little golden key, and when she went back to the table for it, she found she could not possibly reach it. She could see it quite plainly through the glass, and she tried her best to climb up one of the legs of the table, but it was too slippery. And when she had tired herself out with trying, the poor little thing sat down and cried. Come, there's no use in crying like that, said Alice to herself rather sharply. I advise you to leave off this minute. She generally gave herself very good advice, 
though she very seldom followed it, and sometimes she scolded herself so severely as to bring tears into her eyes. And once she remembered trying to box her own ears for having cheated herself in a game of croquet she was playing against herself, for this curious child was very fond of pretending to be two people. But it's no use now, thought poor Alice, to pretend to be two people. Why, there's hardly enough to me left to make one respectable person. Soon her eye fell on a little glass box that was lying under the table. She opened it and found in it a very small cake on which the words eat me were beautifully marked in currants. Well, I'll eat it, said Alice, and if it makes me grow larger, I can use the key. And if it makes me grow smaller, I can creep under the door. So either way, I'll get into the garden, and I don't care which happens. She ate a little bit, and said anxiously to herself, Oh, which way, which way? Holding her hand on the top of her head to feel which way it was growing. And she was quite surprised to find that she remained the same size. To be sure, this is what generally happens when one eats cake. But Alice had got so much into the way of expecting nothing but out-of-the-way things to happen that it seemed quite dull and stupid for life to go on in the common way. So she set to work, and very soon finished off the cake. Oh, she ate the whole cake without pausing, and we know what happens next. I have to say, as I'm not a natural voice actor, and it's something that I'm practicing, this was a difficult chapter to prepare for and read aloud. It's filled with commas and semicolons, particularly when Alice talks aloud. As you're reading, you'll find yourself following both the pace and direction of Alice's thoughts. Sometimes her thoughts are measured and practical as a child learning her lessons, and sometimes they are a steady stream of a child's ideas and possibilities. The chapter opens with the third-person narrative and Alice's inner monologues and questions are charged with a child's curiosity which infuses the narrative. Before going down the rabbit hole, Alice's thoughts are confined to herself in the company of her sister. When she transitions over, she voices her thoughts aloud, almost confidently and unchecked. Note how she is mindful of there being no opportunity to show off her knowledge to anyone, but exercising her knowledge is a practical step in her learning process. She is equally happy no one can hear her when she is unsure of an answer, and this illustrates her youthful self-consciousness. What an ignorant little girl someone would think of her for asking. Alice also likes the words latitude and longitude, as they are nice grand words to say, because they are words that grown-ups use, and she wants to impress them. There are several references to little throughout this chapter. Ignorant little girl, and little key or tiny key, and the little three-legged table, and so on. These references to size are indicative of how small she is. As she fluctuates between little and large, tall and short from the cake and drink, etc., the language shifts accordingly, and it's a method to instill an image of a small child in the reader. In chapter 2, her size will have changed from the cake. Let's take a step back and look at Alice's first glimpse of the white rabbit. It comes just after the sentence that the hot day made Alice feel very sleepy and stupid, and she is slow to act and pick daisies. Here is the first hint that she is falling asleep. As the rabbit runs by her, Alice is again slow to register that he is speaking, almost sluggish in response. When Alice travels down the well, she is moving slowly, calmly, and not in a rushed panic state as if she were falling down any stairs. She is travelling to Wonderland in a dreamlike state, yet her practical, well-mannered self is present along the way. There are books on the shelves as Alice travels down the well, maps and pictures too, these are symbols of knowledge and represent Alice's curiosity and education, both for what she has learned in lessons and the deductions she makes on her own. Similarly, 
Once she arrives at the long, low hall with its locked doors, she is saddened that they are closed to her. And yet, all that Alice requires on her new adventure is presented to her. A dash of wonder with the sudden appearance of the little table, followed by its enticing bottle labelled Drink Me, and its mysterious qualities trigger the next stage of Alice's journey and the path she is permitted to take. We then await the next chapter as she finishes off the cake marked Eat Me to continue on the journey. I love the flavours Alice identifies in the bottle. Each a childhood favourite, and each a delight both adults and children alike can appreciate. As Alice scolds herself out of her cry, treatment that she would have likely experienced from an adult or observed of other children, much like boxing her own ears, she is willing herself to stop the nonsense and carry on. The story then continues with a sudden surprise out of her predicament with the arrival of the small cake. Structurally, the story is delivered as a dream and is therefore uninhibited by the constraints of reality. And this is what we love about it. By delivering the story in this way, Carol is able to disable the restrictions of Victorian rules presented in children's literature to turn them upside down. Through Alice's eyes, we are presented with this wonderful childlike resilience and motivation to indulge in curiosities and see where the path takes you. What did you notice about the writing style in this passage to indicate the childlike wonder of the story? Let me know your thoughts, either with an episode review or a message to contact at awriterslighthouse.com. You can also send me a direct message to my social media profile at A Writer's Lighthouse. And so we have our exercise for the day. I'd like you to brainstorm a list of story ideas for children. Set yourself 10 minutes on a timer whilst the kettle brews or between the washing machine rounds and get those ideas down onto paper. Then select one story from your list and spend another 10 minutes writing out what might happen. Keep resetting that timer until you feel you need a break and then review your work. Try not to overthink or limit yourself in this exercise. It's an opportunity to shake things up and see what narrative paths form on the page. If you need help with developing your story idea, you can download my free story mapping guide at my website, awriterslighthouse.com, and proceed from step two. Until next time, happy listening, reading and writing with your eyes to the horizon. Thank you for joining me this week. If you haven't already, I hope you'll follow or subscribe to the podcast in your favourite podcast app. We've covered a lot in today's episode, so if you'd like to review the full show notes, including today's exercise, head to awriterslighthouse.com forward slash podcast and search by book title. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you know fellow writers who would find these episodes helpful, an Apple podcast review or recommendation would be greatly appreciated to expand our writing community. It's great that you're here on this journey with me in today's episode of the Reading Room podcast. Until next time, keep reading and writing with your eyes to the horizon.